Hello, hello, and welcome to Epiloggers, a book club where we crack open a beer as we crack open our books. In this prologue episode, we are discussing Bartimaeus and the Amulet of Samarkand, I think that's how you say it, by Jonathan Stroud. We meet Nathaniel, who is a Harry Potter-esque character, and his BFF Bartimaeus, who is a 5,000-year-old Ginny. Shay and I also fangirl hard about the writing style and footnotes that are included in this book. You can follow our Twitter and Instagram pages at epiloggerspod, and we would love for you to join the conversation using the hashtag epiloggers. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. But without further ado, let's get started. So can I just tell you that before we started... I ran all over my house looking for a bottle opener because this is a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) Again. And I couldn't find one. I finally, so I finally found one. And Mm -hmm. it's Xfinity, like the cable company. How'd you get that? (laughs) Okay, so it gets weirder. So I have a bottle opener from my cable company. And then I came back in here. And here's my other bottle, my other bottle opener. <laughs> Wouldn't you know? It is also an Xfinity bottle opener. How did that happen? What the fuck? Do you just go into their stores and steal I've everything? I've never been into an Xfinity store. <laughs> Where are these coming from? They're the same too. They're oh. just like two different colors. I, huh? I swear I got these from undergrad. And yeah, I must have just they had to have been at, like a, a fair or something. Right. This looks like something that maybe they put in. No, they can't put these in anything because <laughs> our campus was dry. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> no welcome packages with bottle openers. No welcome packages with bottle openers here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what are you drinking? Oh, this evening I have a sour. Goes. Of course. A malt beverage brewed with coriander and sea salt. Coriander. Yeah, I thought this was going to be very unique. I think that's Um, really fitting for this book, considering coriander kind of strikes me as an eastern side of the world kind of spice. And definitely, we have some Middle Eastern spirits today. Mm -hmm. Westbrook Brewing Company. It is... (laughs) <laughs> Their tagline is sour, salty, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 4% alcohol. <clears throat> wow. 4% alcohol by volume. Okay. In a, in a can. Also, uh, side note, there's a brewery and cafe place here, and they specialize in sours. I just went there. Ooh. And did not realize it was a Sours brewery. And as soon as the waitress came over and was like, here's the beer list. Anything with this at the end of the name is our Sours that we specialize in. I was like, oh, my God, I have to bring Jay here. <laughs> <laughs> Everything uh, is yes. sour. I had a, uh, a sour farmhouse ale that was pretty good. <laughs> the description said that. It had aromatic notes of worn leather and autumn nights. Ew. Why do they have to be weird like that? <laughs> I You should have seen. So uh, my girlfriend got a beer. I, I won't name it, but basically <laughs> it was along the lines of 
chaos and calamity. And the description was so long. It was longer than any other description that they had. And it was just words, just words, just like every flavor you could possibly imagine. It was like caramel, strawberry, nectarine. (laughs) Cotton candy, Jolly oh, Rancher candy. it wasn't candy. even sentences? It no, was no, no. Adjectives. It was just everything that they could list. So she gets it. She's like, I'm sold. This is the weirdest thing I've ever heard and I want this. <laughs> and I tried it and it was the most single note beer I've ever had in my life. Oh my <laughs> I God. I was that is so, so disappointed. Funny. Oh my God. Is it like, God. is it funny? Like, did they prank me? You know? Yeah, I think it's a bait and switch. <laughs> <laughs> they got me, man. <laughs> they got me. Shit, that's it funny. Was, it was quite boring. That's something I would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is actually delicious. Really? Yeah. I don't know what coriander tastes like, but the saltiness is amazing. Coriander is delicious. Yeah. No, this is definitely a staple for me. So what are you having on this fine evening? So I am having a beer that I thought would be super appropriate for discussing this book. Um, If it's good, maybe I'll get it for the second half, too. It's called The Poet, and it has a raven on the front. It's by New Holland Brewing, which I think is in Michigan. I'm pretty sure this is in Michigan local. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an oatmeal stout. The description is, oats bring a creaminess and soft mouthfeel to rich, roasty malt character. And it's got some pairings that I, I won't be indulging in at midnight. Pairings. Mushrooms, (laughs) Mushrooms, <laughs> beef, soft ripened cheeses, and chocolate. Mm, that's a very interesting mixture of mushrooms and chocolate. Oh. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like a nitro stout. Like, if it's mm. going to have a soft mouthfeel, I'm into it. Nice and creamy. Nice. Mm. And, mm-hmm. Smells a little earthy. Earthy? Good. Wow, what a soft mouthfeel. <laughs> Ooh, with that mouthfeel, though. <laughs> it actually is quite pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> is it a nitro? It's not. No, mm. I think it's just the oatmeal that makes it <laughs> not so Makes aggressive. it feel like it. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how to describe this. It's delicious. It's really good. It kind of reminds me of like a a good Irish peat whiskey. Like it's almost got peatiness to it, mm. but still sweet and kind of chocolatey, so... Well, that sounds pretty good. I'm into it. I'm very into it. Definitely. What are you drinking to this week? Oh, yeah. This week, I actually do have something very good to celebrate, but it is also the reason why I'm drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Go on. So today, first day back at work after basically, I think it's been six weeks. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) I think I had six weeks break. Okay, we get it. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, sorry. (laughs) And why I'm celebrating is because... I have been, I've had an athlete who's dealt with not one, not two, but three ACL tears of one knee. And today was her first day back to lacrosse after a two year long recovery period with me. Oh my God. Yeah. After you have two, your recovery period, you know, like it just six months for the first one, nine months for the second one. And then ultimately we had over a year. For the third one. And hopefully she doesn't do it again. (laughs) Yeah. But no, today was really emotional for us and it was it was a good day. She did really well. She kept up with the rest of the team and it was great. Good for her. Well, that's happy. Yeah, it was a great day. 
But it was also my first day back to work, so I need a drink and, you know, get over myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> get over myself. <laughs> uh, what are you celebrating this week? Uh, this week, I'm celebrating a really fun week in lab. I did a ton of frog handling by myself. Holy <laughs> shit. They are slippery little fucks. <laughs> Your snaps were great this week. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. it's a lot to hang on to them. You know, for everyone's safety, for your safety, for their safety. <laughs> Everyone needs to be safe and you can't, they smell fear. You can't go in with like <laughs> limp willy-nilly hands or they're going to squirt yep. right out. Firm but gentle. Firm but gentle. Take command. <laughs> yeah, so I'm celebrating being able to hold on to some frogs. <laughs> Getting the hang of it. <laughs> and safely do science with them. That's exciting. And I'm drinking to forget that I tried to be in a biochem class. <laughs> so so here's what happened. <laughs> Give me the lowdown. So my path to a scientific PhD has not been a linear one, <laughs> as many people have. I, as we've talked about before, I took a couple years off to work in sales and didn't like it and came back to science to get my master's and now my PhD and I didn't plan on doing those things as an undergrad. Right. So as an undergrad. <laughs> All the initial prep wasn't quite there. <laughs> yeah. So I did not take organic chemistry too or biochem as an undergraduate. And then I jumped into, I'm so sure it's an introductory biochemistry course. But here's the thing. I go to a really good university now. <laughs> maybe, maybe don't put that. I don't want to hurt They're, anyone's feelings. Right. No. Their level of of university is much higher. Well, yeah. So basically, the first week of class was not even catch-up time. It was just straight into the sauce time. Yeah. And I don't remember the like small amount of ochem that I had. But also, I didn't have the second half of organic chemistry, and they're used to their undergrads taking this class. It's split between undergrads and graduate students. But the undergrads just came out of this university's chemistry, organic right. chemistry classes. So they just expect you to know all that stuff, and and I don't. So <laughs> this week has been a sobering lesson in not putting too much stuff on your plate. And knowing where to start. <laughs> yeah. Knowing your limitations and know making your sure you're well prepared. <laughs> yeah. It's been a rough week trying to figure out what to do and whether or not I have enough time to catch up. Because here's the thing. When you get your PhD, lab is your life, which is great. But you also have to balance during your first year classes and going to seminars and just in general learning how to be a PhD student. And I filled my plate too full. And now I have to face my hubris and balance my schedule a little better. <laughs> A.K.A. A.K.A. I was supposed to drop biochem on Wednesday and I went to class this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, I just feel I just feel bad. And the, the not having biochem training was such an annoyance to me during my master's. And then the classes I've had so far and just, you know, like reading tons and tons and tons of academic papers, biochem is really important no matter what kind of science you do. 
And it annoys me that I don't have biochem training. So I thought, I'm going to patch that hole, but I don't have any asphalt. (laughs) Well, and how could they possibly not know that biochem would be so important for your future, mm-hmm. whether or not you're going on to a PhD, right? How did our undisclaimed university not know that biochem would be important to you? Mm-hmm. Um, it probably should be part of the biology curriculum because that's my undergraduate is just in a general biology degree, right? And I think the problem is that I got a bachelor of arts instead of a bachelor of science. But really, if there's any part of your degree that says biology. You should take biochem. <laughs> yeah. But please. It wasn't required and I didn't anticipate using it. So I just didn't. Yeah. And no one like was like, well, listen, in the future, you never know. It might be useful. This undisclaimed universities would be really easy to get you started. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can't jump that gap and just get into it. So instead, I'm going to uh, audit some other classes and there are some journal clubs that I'm going to do instead. And so I'm going to drop the class and then try to pick up the stuff that I don't know Mm -hmm. and fix it that way. Well, cheers to you. (laughs) Clink. All right. Well, this week we are reading. Oh, I need to pull up the name because it has a funny name and The Amulet of Samarkand. There we go. (laughs) With Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus. We looked it up. It's supposed to be Bartimaeus, but I've said Bartimaeus my entire life, so I'm probably going to fuck it up and say Bartimaeus. Yeah. At me. It's UK, so their English is weird. Their English (laughs) is weird. (laughs) Do you want to tell us a little bit about the background of this book for you? Yeah, I guess just I read this as a kid, and it's one of my favorite books of all time. I honestly don't know how many times I've read this. I haven't read it in a while, so it is like rereading it a little bit. I don't remember all of the dialogue, but I've read this so many times. Just look at this copy. Mm -hmm. It is dog-eared and worn and ripped and loved to death. (laughs) (laughs) That book is very loved. It's very, very loved. All right. Well, I have not read this book. Um, I had not even heard of it until you brought it up for us. But I don't know why it hasn't become a little bit more mainstream because it follows all the general rules of mainstream Mm -hmm. books. Mm -hmm. It's a trilogy. It's fantasy. It's Mm -hmm. mostly young adult. Uh It has great characters. It has a great world. I have no idea how this one has gotten so bypassed. You said it came out in 2003. 2003. Just no acclaim. Um, It was on the bestsellers list, I think. Oh, okay. Uh. But other than that, it wasn't very popular. I have no idea how I found it. Yeah. Probably just devouring the school library like I did as a kid. And it just, it was there. Yeah. Probably. We probably stumbled upon it. <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> um, basically, from what I gathered of mm-hmm. reading the back of the book and reading the general synopsis from Amazon that doesn't include spoilers, I figured out that they are magicians Mm -hmm. and they have what I thought was magical ability. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll get into that a little bit later. mm -hmm. Our main character, Nathaniel, uh, is learning magic from Mm -hmm. like a head magician. Mm -hmm. Um, A more important magician. I mean, not so important, actually. It's just... Yeah, I don't think he's actually reading into it now. I don't think he's that important. (laughs) He's not. Okay. (laughs) He's very much not. Um, It's just, you know, like, that's the beginning of this book, so I think that's probably Mm -hmm. why they include it. Yeah. Um, The summary then goes into how a Simon Lovelace 
fucks him over. And a big plot is that he's going to exact revenge mm-hmm. um, by stealing this amulet. Mm-hmm. I don't quite know what this amulet is. Mm-hmm. And uh, my two guesses are that either the amulet is like a house mm. for what I was reading earlier to be genie, mm-hmm. whereas now you've instructed me that it's Jin or Jinny. <laughs> well, I mean, technically they're the same word. So yeah. Jin. Oh, right. Yes. Is the like old arabic word for these spirits slash demons slash entity and the english version of that became genie yeah very interesting so i'm either thinking it's like aladdin's lamp Mm -hmm. or just like an extremely powerful object um, right that's going to give either one of the characters that gets it some kind of crazy power don't know what that is yet though I can't quite remember what that is either. <laughs> Maybe it's not I that important. I think I remember some of the plot. I think I remember some of the, the climax of the book, but mm-hmm. not enough to spoil it, I think. So we're good. Oh, good. <laughs> the summary on Amazon then goes into how London's government with these magicians is kind mm-hmm. of fucked. And right. there's something evil going on not necessarily evil but bad and right. and that's going to be kind of like a significant to the plot as well i don't right. see how that could possibly play a part either <laughs> Ooh, it will my guess is that they're going to impose restrictions on quote-unquote magic and mm-hmm. that our main character is unhappy with how the government is either running things or controlling mm-hmm. things and mm-hmm. he wants more power but they regulate it heavily and that's where the it's going to come in but that's just that's my speculation okay that's predictions yeah we can talk about some more of the government too and the the magician law of the land once we get into a little bit of the world building for this episode all right. That's all I really had for my pre-reading ideas. All right. Good How do they seem so far? Um, They're good so far. I mean, good. without trying to spoil, without trying to spoil any of the book, you're picking up a lot of it. So a lot of the plot, I think, is pretty straightforward in terms of like a typical, typical youth-driven fantasy book where the plot is going to proceed in a certain way that you'll expect with some maybe additional events that you won't expect. Hmm. So you're saying I'm pretty intelligent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jay, you're pretty intelligent. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Guessing young adult plot points. <laughs> so smart. Oh my. Well, the book starts out with Bartimus, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus. Ooh, that that wasn't it. Barty. <laughs> Barty. Oh. Let's just call him Barty. <laughs> Good old Barty. Um, I'm fine with it. So what I've gathered is that the book is told from two different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Barty and Nathaniel are two main characters. Right. Basically, what I've gathered from Bartimus so far is that he is a jinn. Yep. And a jinn is a demon-like thing. Yes. He is so sarcastically funny. I absolutely love him. It is <laughs> the best. Bartimus is one of the best constructed characters i've ever read Mm -hmm. he is such a personality 
and it just reads so well, which I, I have a note to talk about that when we go over like a little bit of the style. Um, I love him so much and I loved just like the grandeur of him that I have constructed several Dungeons and Dragons characters after him. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. He is a good character to have. Definitely. Mm-hmm. He makes for a pretty good chaotic neutral mm-hmm. or uh, I was gonna like say that a too. lawful <laughs> evil could be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Wow. I never thought of that. Yeah, he seems like a great character. That's so funny because I've based every single one of my D&D characters off of book characters that I've read. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have to. So one of my characters that I made um, really just kind of borrowed his voice not his voice, borrowed his name because I love the name Bartimus. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a construction similar to Nan Pon. Oh. <laughs> who you'll be familiar with. Yes. Uh, I made like a giant dragonborn. Ooh. And I made him a scholar and I gave him teeny tiny glasses that like balance at the end of his dragon nose and I made him very peaceful and gentle and I named him Bartimus. And then, of course, the best construct I've ever made and the best game I've ever run, Sam fucking killed me. <laughs> oh, my God. For you. Yeah, oh, I have my God. the most ruthless dungeon master <laughs> that this world has ever seen. How rude. And he kills my favorite characters every time. <laughs> <laughs> it never fails. The more I love a character, the more likely they are to die. <laughs> if Sam Ugh. ever listens to this, I love you and I hate you. <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> Jay knows because she has also run a one-shot dungeon with our dungeon master, Sam. And it is just, it'll take a little bit of the humanity out of you every time. <laughs> oh, yes. Just a little bit. Just a sliver every time. Hi, Otis. Are you coming to see what I'm doing? Hey, kitty kitty. Hi, what are you doing? I'm trying to do something here. Oh, I heard him jump down. So we also learn pretty early on that Barty is a shapeshifter, kind of. So all spirits are. Okay, yes. So it seems like all Jin can morph their body into something that they know. Mm-hmm. And if it's a human, they have to know, int- not intimately, mm-hmm. but like they have to know like the ins and outs. Um, I think they can create some of these shapes too. Okay. Um, because they talked like he he talked like he couldn't shapeshift into Simon because he didn't know enough about him. Hmm. But I don't I don't know if I just read that incorrectly. It could be there. I missed it. Um, no, that's okay. And it's not super described yet in the book, but I'll explain because I don't think it's going to spoil anything. Um, <laughs> like these creatures or entities don't really have a shape to be in the plane where they exist when the magicians summon them they have to constrain their shape into into a form that exists on that plane oh okay so like having a form is necessary but as bartimus describes difficult and it's not natural for them Mm -hmm. so they have to go through different shapes and whether or not they keep that shape on different planes kind of depends on whether or not they need it how powerful they are etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah yeah he does go into description about that when he's various animals mm-hmm. he talks about that he feels kind of like claustrophobic in a sense right right it's not a natural form for them to be in a constrained body per se yeah. 
No, I like it a lot. I I like these genies Jin mm-hmm. so far. They're yeah. very interesting. They are kind of similar to like the demons in um Cassandra Clare's series, if you're familiar with the Shadow Hunters. Oh, I haven't read the Shadow Hunters, but I know like of it. Yeah, and these themes must come from a central place because in her series you summon or warlocks can summon demons and keep them in a pentagon Mm -hmm. and these demons can present in different forms and they all have a specific style or theme against them Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so it's all very similar and that's basically what i was picturing um because shadow hunters has a movie and a tv show so i i had like that picture in my mind i mean it's also i was somewhat similar to the golden compass where uh all people are accompanied by a demon they're called demons but they are like a piece of your personality and a piece of your soul that lives outside you so it's basically like your subconscious and they are their own being and they're all so they're all shapeshifters at first and they can take the form of pretty much any imaginative animal so they can be a normal animal i think one of them shifts into a dragon at some point however yeah i feel like i faintly remember that i only really remember the movie oh we're not gonna talk about the movie um when you come of age your demon becomes trapped in the form of the animal that most embodies your soul oh so like your spirit animal so as a child they can shift into a whole bunch of different things but the moment you come of age your demon stays in the in your spirit animal form oh okay sip sip I mean, <laughs> gulp. <laughs> I don't. It must be the coriander. Every time I drink, I need to like clear my throat. <laughs> <laughs> Spicy. Um, I think that my favorite part about Barty is his sarcastic wit, and <laughs> it is just written so well. It really is. Yes, honestly, it it's it's probably the most well written character I've come across in a in a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had I. It, oh, I took Man, a bit. How many of these beers have we had? Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're uh, doing poorly tonight. It's also like twelve thirty, <laughs> so late for us old people. Um, I did take a little bit to get used to the writing style, mm-hmm. but once I got the hang of it, yeah man it's funny (laughs) it's so good it does absolutely take a life of its own as you read it Mm -hmm. and as you know more of his character i think like the more familiar you get with Barty and how sassy and kind of egotistical that he is you start reading the passages with more and more sass and they just get better and better yeah i think i texted you that he reminds me so much of my favorite hero Deadpool. <laughs> Absolutely. And he's it's so the same much. kind of concept. Exactly. He's so much like him that it's just, I now think of Ryan Reynolds as I read his voice. <laughs> That's so funny. We kind of talked about this a little bit right before we started. Um, and for me, Bartimus always had like a deep, impressive sounding voice. Velvety, chocolate, Velvety, chocolatey kind of voice. So for me as a kid, I always imagined him sounding like Sean Connery because I (laughs) loved Sean Connery as a kid. Mm -hmm. I used to watch all of the Sean Connery James Bond movies with my dad. Yeah. And he was just like the epitome of 
a suave gentleman <laughs> and somehow that translates well for me as like a suave but sassy gentleman and it makes it funny for me when he kind of breaks his own character you know like mm-hmm. he breaks his own um not front what's the word i'm thinking persona? of persona like the thing that he puts on he breaks the own show oh yeah he breaks his own show that he's putting on for magicians yes he does to be yeah. like wait i'm sorry what did you just ask me to do and it, it just <laughs> makes it really funny for me as like a sean connery like i am this impressive spirit i'm sorry you want me to steal what <laughs> Yeah, no, that was that was so great. And I, I can picture and think exactly what you're describing. <laughs> oh, man. I don't think we've really learned the connection between Nathaniel and Barty mm-hmm. to its fullest extent right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, I know that Bartimus is under the powers, under the... Control. The control. summons. Control. Yeah. Barty's under the control of Nathaniel mm-hmm. and he's on a task. Right. Right now, I've read up into the point that Barty is running away from the bad guys that we'll talk about next. The bad guys. And he's still trying to get the amulet back to Nathaniel. Right. So, this is kind of like the main aspect of this book in terms of the relationship between magicians and the spirits that they control. Mm hmm. I think we'll probably put that off for a little bit of world building. Yeah, that's definitely world building. And it's it's a very interesting relationship. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, we don't really know too much about Nathaniel. Mm-hmm. I've gotten about two or three chapters worth of his background growing up yeah. as a magician and his apprenticeship, yeah. which is very Harry Potter, Vernon Dursley-esque. It is. It's just, <laughs> it's just sad, really. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it just like, so makes sad. you feel bad. Um. It's interesting, you know, I don't want to reveal too much of Nathaniel's character for you, but I'll just tell you that he doesn't turn out like Harry Potter. Well, that's good. Oh, that's good. I guess, maybe. Would you say Harry Potter's like a a good guy? (laughs) Hmm. That's a tough question that I don't know if we want to piss off half of our fans. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. Maybe we'll just take that whole part out. Yeah. Harry Potter's fine. He's just, you know, everything's great. Everything's fine. Don't worry. Um,. Yeah, Nathaniel's character is interesting because he's very, very young mm-hmm. and he's had a rocky, awful start. And I think he's just like kind of stepping into his own as a magician. And you'll find out a little bit more about what he's like as a magician and what his relationship with Bartimus is as you keep reading. Hmm. Okay, what else do you want to say about Nathaniel? I Other think that's really it for me story. for Nathaniel. We don't have really too much to go on yet, just yet, but I right. my heart's already in him. Like, I, right. I love him. He's yeah. a cute little kid. We're just, right now, you just start the book out, like, feeling real sorry for him. Yeah, <laughs> it's real. It's closet under the stairs. Sorry. Yeah, it is very closet under the stairs. And I think the biggest sorry part of it is that is this Mr. Underwood character. Do we learn his first name? Arthur? Uh... Is it Arthur Underwood? It might be. I feel like it's an A name if I'm incorrect with Arthur. But so he's basically Vernon Dursley. He (laughs) treats this kid like absolute shit. And the biggest thing that stood out to me was, so he has to have an apprentice as a, what are they called? Magician. Magician. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a service that he, it's like getting jury duty. You have to do it. Yeah. 
it's a part of being a magician. You just have to have an apprentice. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want it. And nope. he calls Nathaniel it. Like he says, yeah. I have to go pick it up. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Like he just he's going to love this kid. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's shitty. <clears throat> so the whole relationship between Mr. Underwood and Nathaniel is just that is is just that an apprenticeship. Yeah. In that well, I mean, he's, I what? think it, it has a little more malice than that. You know, he mm-hmm. like he doesn't care about him to the point that I think he is detrimental to to Nathaniel and to his success. How did you feel about the scene where he like exposes him to a hundred imps at once and lets them like torture him? Oh, I know. And then uh, that was so ridiculous. How could you possibly not know that that would scar this poor kid? Yeah, I get it. You need to show him that demons are dangerous. Could you show him one? <laughs> right it would probably only take one to be honest i think he chose imps because they wouldn't be able to do much damage right yeah and they're, they're you know, like they're bound under this guy um but i think it was intentional not i think like the scarring was intentional he didn't want to just show him that they were dangerous he wanted to breed hatred for these spirits that's kind of an important aspect between the magicians and the demons is that they're they hate each other the demons hate being summoned and the magicians hate these creatures and they've talked about it a little bit that Mm -hmm. um the demons are just like looking for a way to slip out of these confines and basically devour the magicians yeah slaughter them slaughter (laughs) them so i think it was an intentional i'm and dark choice to like more than put the fear in this boy but to like breed that dark hatred within him for these spirits yeah i can definitely see that point of view for sure i don't agree with it um it says that he doesn't talk he doesn't talk for an entire week and doesn't yeah. eat for like two days yeah like that poor kid barely survived that experience he's only six years old yeah six little it's six terrifying old boy monsters he was in a room full of monsters that were, I think, probably attacking him, but just, like, not inflicting too much damage. Right. It was so, such yeah. a mean joke. Ugh, all in all, fuck Mr. Underwood. But yeah, his wife's great. <laughs> yeah, she's so sweet. She tries to make up for the fact that this poor child has been stripped joke. from his home and <laughs> treated like ass. Yeah. Well, that does pose a question for me in mm-hmm. this world. Are all magicians men is Mm -hmm. mrs underwood a magician no she's not okay so she but she knows about the demons she knows about the Mm -hmm. training yeah so think of it kind of like a classist thing because that's really what it is we'll talk about it more in world building like how the magicians are running the government why they get to run the government Mm -hmm. so basically the magicians have the most power which means that they have the most wealth and they get to run the government. And that's All because they can summon demons. Exactly. So Hmm. normal people aren't allowed to have magical knowledge basically so that they can't take power into their own hands and revolt. So the the government, or I should say the policing system of this place was like only slightly hinted at. But so there's night police, which are basically magicians, baddies. 
that kind of keep the I don't know if I should call them lay people, muggles, non-magical people. I think they called them commoners. Commoners. There we go. That's that sounds like the British word for it. Yeah. (laughs) So basically, the magicians keep the commoners in their place by fear and just not allowing them to have any magical objects or magical ability and they shroud their world from the commoners that they're not able to realize the magicians don't actually have any power it's just like a big curtain pulled over these people's eyes and they mention them a little bit that there are like watchers Mm -hmm. that just constantly patrol the streets yeah the police yeah yeah well there's also like little imps that run around in crystal balls that are just oh, serving yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time. So like, you literally yeah. can't walk out of your house and say something like, magicians suck or they're coming for you. Oh, shit. It's a very oppressive system. That is probably what the Amazon summaries are kind of touching upon. And right. that it seems like the government has a little too much power. Oh, definitely too much power. And <laughs> and we kind of see how petty it is, you know, how like name drop, slimy, I know mm-hmm. this person. I know that person when we meet Simon Lovelace. So, and we, Simon, yeah. Yeah, we don't really know what his position is in the government, but he probably has one because he's a magician. So basically the magicians are like a super backstabby, petty, power-hungry group of people who control commoners. Yeah, I didn't feel like I had too much to go on yet with Simon, but he definitely seems slimy. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's obviously going to be one of the villains of the book, but he's a shit. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) he's a shit. (laughs) Unfortunately, he's also very talented. (laughs) Well, yeah, and that seems interesting because what I've gathered is that magicians aren't anything special. No, they don't. They're they're not born with innate abilities. They become magicians. You have to be selected, which is what I'm kind of getting a hint from um, Nathaniel's one teacher in that he didn't get selected and he's a little Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. about it. (laughs) Right. So basically, it just comes down to whether or not you get pulled into the order. That's it. Yeah. Magicians have nothing special. And we might get into this a little bit more as world building goes on. But natural magical ability seems to be constrained to the actual spirits but you might find that some people have an aptitude for it or like a slightly above average magical ability oh okay but for the most part so there might be something like they're just a little bit better with languages Mm -hmm. or they're they're a little bit you know just naturally intelligent right natural intelligence or i should just intelligence in general is definitely an aspect these I wrote that these magicians are old school magicians, like the kinds that you think about that are sitting up in towers and poring over old scrolls and fluent in 18 ancient languages. <laughs> They're like the Merlin version of a magician, an old yeah. scholar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very different. And that well, and that kind of rolls along with this apprenticeship concept mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. That you get, you just get brought up in the lifestyle. So Nathaniel is currently in an apprenticeship, Mm -hmm. learning languages, learning physics. Like he's learning all the natural, normal student work, Mm -hmm. but he's also learning Latin, I think Egyptian, Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then a musical instrument, which I thought was so cute. Yeah. (laughs) And then Vernon. 
aka Mr. Underwood, is Vernon. also teaching him like the be- the basics. He's going right. over types, styles, how to, what not to, stuff like that. Right, right. So it, I mean, it is basically going to come down to an intelligence thing and how much you can push yourself to study. Yeah, and. I don't really know why you fall out. You know, maybe it's because you're like not smart enough or, you know, maybe it's because eventually you can't handle summoning demons, but it's life threatening if you mess up. Um, So (laughs) it's definitely a select few. Jesus. Yeah. No oopsies. (laughs) No oopsies. (laughs) Oh, man. I think the final thing that really piqued my interest in this world is that there are multiple planes. And Mm -hmm. we always kind of talk about multiple planes of existence, like Mm -hmm. in these kind of fantasy fiction things. Right. I know Dungeons and Dragons has its own. I've never dabbled in it. I'm not quite that good at it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Never blinked or uh, someone had, I can't remember what kind of spider, but basically in spider form, it can move through one of the extra planes. And I can't remember which one and... I'm sure someone's gonna like blow up the comments and be like, "The astral plane, what dummy." This is called? Oh, the yeah. only reason I know the astral plane is from, uh, it was join I the think party? they talked about in yeah, uh, join the party and in the adventure zone. Mm-hmm. Some of the characters kind of hang out in the astral plane every now and then. <laughs> so that's the only reason uh, I know about that one. But so, um, right. Bartimus talks about how higher level demons can kind of scan and view multiple planes of existence Mm -hmm. one funny thing that i texted you about while i was reading is that cats (laughs) can see on two different planes (laughs) they can see the first and second yeah two planes and all i could think about was the jinxophene and her ability to see through two different planes and constantly scanning for demons (laughs) yeah 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 so my cat, Jinx, has really poor vision. She is mostly blind. She has a lot of cloudiness in her eyes, and so she must see like through clouds or through spider webs because there are, are definitely areas where she can see and areas where she can't see. And because she's a cat, her way of dealing with that is bouncing her head around try- <laughs> trying to find the right view. And now... All Jane I can think about is her bouncing through the different planes <laughs> and seeing things that we can't see. She literally headbangs, though. Like, no joke. She, she will go from left to right and scan up to down to try to find what's going on in the room. And it's just, it's not only cute, but now we know what's going on. <laughs> now we know that she's probably checking. And of course, Jinx can see more than two planes. Jinx can see all seven because she's a pretty high-ranking demon. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. She's a fucking high-level demon. (laughs) (laughs) That cat is an afrit. (laughs) (laughs) Which uh, we can go ahead and talk about now. I Mm. learned the hierarchy in this world Mm -hmm. has a hierarchy of demons. You Googled it for me so that I didn't have to look it up in my Kindle book. (laughs) And I also forgot, so I figured I should look it up. Um, It's the... There's a higher highest ranking one that mm-hmm. 
Bartimus doesn't list. He doesn't give a name to because there's no point because they're too powerful for everyone mm-hmm. to talk about, let alone yeah. summon. Yeah, no one summons them. They just occasionally accidentally get called and then they fuck some shit up. <laughs> they fuck people's days up. Oh, uh, yeah, um, they do. <laughs> the highest level is a merit, which we haven't heard of yet. Mm-hmm. And Afrit, which I think we have talked about. I mm-hmm. think we s- decided that Farqual may be in an Afrit. I'm pretty sure he is. Um, Farquhar will end up being a bad guy. He's described as like wanting to kill and eat children. So I'm going oh, to assume Jabor. that he's going to be a bad guy. Farquhar is the slightly civilized one. Jabor is the oh, that's destroy right. everything, eat little kitties kind of kind of Afrit. Yeah, I had them backwards. So we think that the bad guy is similar to Barty on the hierarchy scale, but Farquhar, the cook that we mm-hmm. meet is a little bit higher ranking Afrit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So our Jin is in the middle of all this, dead center. Um, but Bardi is about 5,000, 5 million, 5,000 years old. 5,000. Which makes him extremely powerful. So he's mm-hmm. a higher ranking Jin than others. Right. Um, and he's higher ranking than the other levels of spirits. Yeah, so like the bottom level are these imps, which we Mm -hmm. kind of get a glimpse of. They're pretty much servants, slaves to a certain master when called. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty low ranking. They can only do a few select things. So they kind of serve as like your your guardian angel kind of. Right. They can do small tasks. And because they're not difficult to summon, you can have them around all the time. So they're good for like little uh little familiars by your side warning you of stuff or like doing other stupid tasks for you because they're just stupid (laughs) um but that's how um mr underwood had so many imps because they're easy and that's how he scared nathaniel right right they're just like i can't wait for (sighs) sorry I can't wait for you to get more experience with the different spirits interacting with each other. I don't want to spoil it, but how higher ranking spirits deal with lower ranking spirits is just so funny to me. Like there's a very specific way they get dealt with and I just can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait for you to get to that point where you realize what's happening. That's really exciting. I had um, a footnote that uh-huh. kind of talked about the hierarchy and that Barty doesn't give two flying fucks about anyone oh, lower no. than him. But no. he treats all of the upper levels with a decent amount of respect. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. I think that kind of sets the sets the tone. Yeah, I should just I'm just gonna like preface it with you can think about these imps as like disposable. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> it's gonna get real. <laughs> it gets real. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to discuss it when we've finished reading this book. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm excited. We have to come back to it because I, I just find it so entertaining. <laughs> I'm going to circle imp on my notes so that I have a, a reminder. Um, Moving into the writing style of this mm-hmm. book, I do have to say that I adore it. I, mm-hmm. I'm a... 27 year old woman who's never read a book before that utilized footnotes uh-huh and 
honest to God, I'm really surprised that more people don't. I know. I it's uh, it's so intriguing and it adds such an extra level to the book that mm-hmm. you just don't get in normal texts. No, it's so fun. And so the first time it happened, I read the footnote and was like, okay, that was weird. And then I kept going and it kept happening. So basically the footnotes only occur for Bartimus mm-hmm. and they're like a fourth wall break where he addresses the reader and clarifies something or just most of the time adds some sass but once you get used to it and you love it as soon as you see that footnote you're like oh yeah and you just jump to the bottom of the page and start reading the sass (laughs) oh yeah and that's literally you described them so perfectly they are just straight sass some of my favorite ones i took screenshots of (laughs) i'm gonna go ahead and read one right now because they're just so funny (laughs) In chapter three, very early on in the book, we're still learning Barty's personality. Mm -hmm. He's talking to us about how he becomes a mole. And this is like his first shape-shifting ability. Uh He becomes a mole and digs deep underneath the ground. (laughs) He talks about how he hit his head five times on a pebble. And then there's a footnote, and this is like one of my first footnotes, <laughs> and I click on it. And by the way, on the Kindle, they do this wonderfully. You can just click on the number on the uh-huh. page, and it pops up the footnote. So it's it's great. Oh, that's awesome. And so his footnote says, one each on five different pebbles, italicized, not the same pebble five times. I just want to make that clear. Sometimes you human beings are so dense. <laughs> And that's just like a little, that's like summarizing of his sassy Right, just a little taste of (laughs) getting ridiculed by this character the entire time you're reading and just loving every second of it. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) It's so good. So the footnotes, you're you're right, are only during Bartimus's point of view. We also get to read the book from Nathaniel's point of view. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it is split between the two main characters, which is is also something that I haven't... I've read other books that switch... Actually, no, I I have read other books that switch back and forth between two characters. I have too, but I really think that he did something very different and Mm -hmm. made it very evident of who you're reading there are books where i sometimes have to flip to the chapter page Uh so that you can see whose name it is right whose name is at the top (laughs) yeah and try to remember who you're reading because all of the voices are the same that is absolutely not the case in this book oh not at all you like four words in and there's some kind of sass and you're like oh here we go it's bartimus again <laughs> it's on yeah it's honestly like two different people wrote the book because yeah. i do have a one negative thing to say but this mm-hmm. is honest to god all the only negative thing i have to say when bartimus is talking yeah. his sentences are a little choppy mm-hmm. um when he starts describing scenarios he does use very short abrupt sentences yeah yeah it's almost dismissive yeah, okay. I I like that term for it. It's dismissive and that once I learned how to read it, not read, but read his style, <laughs> <laughs> I figured out that it was purposeful. At first I thought he was just, you know, not writing in long sentences because that's uh-huh. like how he wrote. But right. Nathaniel's point of view uses like clauses and he right. uses normal sentence sentences. It's interesting because so Nathaniel's sections are written like a book but Bartimus's sections are him talking to you 
and him describing yeah things. the first versus third person writing styles too that really breaks it up mm-hmm. i don't know why bartimus refers to his forms in the third person i don't know if it's supposed to be a clever way to like distance himself from these forms that he has to take mm-hmm. uh but it is a, an interesting thing that i also noticed that i'm not really sure what the point of yeah, it I is. think I I texted you that, that uh-huh. Bartimus will say I when he's referring to a feeling or a thought, but mm-hmm. when he, the form, aka the mole, the fly, the fly, the little Egyptian boy that he takes on, mm-hmm. he will refer to it as a person or a thing. Right. The boy walked through the alley. I agree with you in that that thought kind of came to me as well, that he doesn't really truly associate himself with this form. Mm-hmm. So he talks about how the form is doing something. Right, right. Because he, I don't think it's necessarily that the form has any kind of sway over what he does. Oh, but no, he does not at all. kind of talk about how he would do what a fly normally does, or he would try to do something that a boy would normally do. You know what I mean? Like he tries to conform. Right. Well, right. I think to blend in. So like Mm -hmm. with the imp, he was like, well, shit, I can't just sit here because that's not what flies do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, overall, the footnotes, the first versus third person writing styles Mm -hmm. really help me keep track of where I am in the book, who I'm reading and really give Bartimus a personality. Absolutely. And just in general, the imagery of this book is fantastic. It is described so well and so vividly. And I wrote down um, one of my favorite scenes is when we're first getting an idea of the different forms that these creatures can take and what they can do is when he starts to escape Simon Lovelace's house for the first time. Yep. And Mm -hmm. he has chosen the form of a small Egyptian boy. And I think it's Jabor. Uh, It doesn't say who it is but it's not Fakwarl so I'm just guessing it's Jabor and I think this is the form this guy picks most of the time where he's like he basically looks like Anubis he's a man with the head of a jackal yeah but instead of being a normal Mm -hmm. man he has bright red skin like a skinned version of Anubis and just the thought of like a small Egyptian boy and a toad on the ceiling and this giant bloody anubis is just <laughs> amazing <laughs> yeah the Im- it does really help you get into it and get mm-hmm. in the scene yeah it's all so interesting well honestly i'm really excited to read the rest of the book i mm-hmm. think it this was a great pick i love the style and um i tried listening to the audiobook what i did this time instead of buying it right off the bat i listened Good. to a preview and uh-huh. i didn't really like it uh, narrator was good. He put mm-hmm. a lot of emphasis on sentences, and I feel like he read it well. Uh-huh. But they played music in the background oh, and what? like sound effects, which I thought was really weird. So I didn't yeah. end up buying it. <laughs> that does sound. That would really bother me. Yeah, constantly having shit going on in the background. Yeah, no, no, thank you. I also think that audiobooks would be difficult for me personally because I imagine these voices a certain way that if it didn't correspond with how I wanted the character to sound, I just wouldn't be able to handle it. Yeah, I can definitely see that. 
Well, I think that's all of my thoughts for this beginning part of the book. I really enjoyed it so far, and I'm excited to keep on reading. Good. I'm so glad because I love this book so much. When we picked it, I was so excited to read it again, and I was so worried that you wouldn't like it, and I would have to like deal with the criticism. You know, like if you brought <laughs> criticism, I knew it would be warranted. But as I was reading it again, I was just reminded of how much I love it and how I just can't criticize it because I adore it. And it's it's so well done. But as I was reading Bartimus and getting through the footnotes, I was like, no, there's no way she's not going to like this. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, I, I had a hard time really finding anything negative to say. There, just, there isn't a lot. Jonathan Stroud. Good job, man. Good job. Well, uh, that's all for now. I hope that you read along with us. Remember to join the conversation and let us know how we're doing and what you think of the book so far on Twitter and Instagram at EpiloggersPod. Follow our mascot, Jinx, at MemoJinx on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Give her lots of love because she deserves it. She does deserve it. But until next time, always remember the best way to summon adulthood is with a book in one hand and a beer in the other. Talk to you soon on Epiloggers. Bye-bye.